For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, a good Sunday morning. You know, this is going to be our last show of the year. 2021 has flown by, Scott. We've had a lot of interesting guests, and we're going to start the year with someone that uh, that we had on, you know, maybe a year, 15 months ago, uh, Tino Sonora, Dr. Robert Sonora, who's a, who's a economist and a research professor and has been studying COVID and the effect of COVID on employment and the economy. And he's always good to talk to, even when I run into him, you know, casually, he always has interesting things to, to say. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of, uh, of uh, burning issues like inflation and supply chain issues and res- great resignation and real estate prices and all these things that are floating around that affects our listeners uh, every single day. We're going to try to get maybe, you know, a, a, a more right. you know, impartial perspective on that from, uh, from an economist. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Robert Tino Sonora. Tino, it's so good to have you back on the show. It's great to see you. We're, we can see Tino because we're Zooming this, but for those of you uh, that can't see it, Tino is resplendent in his new, I guess, COVID-produced uh, beard, and he looks very professorial. So I have many questions for you now that you have this new serious look about yourself. Uh, hopefully my answers will will justify my looks. And good to see you guys as well. It's been a while. I'm trying to think the last time I actually talked to you guys. Uh, I think it was on Zoom, um, but I don't remember exactly. It, it was a little over a year ago. Over a year ago. Wow. Well, that's a good, that's a good segue. It's a little over a year ago, and we're ending up now 2021, heading into 2022. And there are all these issues, you know, floating around that's going to carry over. We've been dealing, obviously, with the, the lingering effects of the COVID pandemic and the mutations. We got inflation on our hands now. We got supply chain issues. We got the great resignation happening, not only in Montana, but around the country. We got soaring real estate prices. We got a new infrastructure bill, you know, that's just been passed in you know, under the, you know, Build Back Better plan that will have some effects, obviously, on Montana. You know, and then we're locally, you know, in a situation where while the, uh, you know, inflation in the United States is uh, is growing, we have, uh, you know, a situation in Montana where the unemployment rate is uh, is down. So I think statewide, uh, um, what is it, uh, Tino, 3.1% statewide in Missoula, 1.9%. I mean, we haven't never seen numbers like this. So, yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, you mentioned the great resignation earlier. So a lot of it has to do with just labor, what we call labor force participation rate, which is essentially the number of people who are, you know, in, in the civil civilian population. So this is individuals who are not in the military um, or not incarcerated or not in hospitals who are actually participating in labor force. Um, that is either looking for a job or are working um, and again, that's kind of a minimal level. I think, I think the, the actual threshold is 15 hours per week. So if you're working 15 hours per week or looking for a job, then you're part of the labor force. And that's still kind of low historically. Um, it's about uh, four or five percentage points below where it was uh, prior to the pandemic. Um, 
it's it, it's kind of bounced back somewhat, but just like during the Great Resignation, that labor force participation rate really kind of stagnated for for a number of years during that crisis. This one, it's it's bounced back a lot faster, but it's still still a little bit low. And I think you do see some differences in that that labor force participation rate um, across genders. So uh, male labor force participation rate has been falling gradually for 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 decades, really, and it's been sort of compensated for by an increase in in uh, women's participation. Um, and what you're seeing now, as you might expect, is that the labor force participation rate is actually lower for women um, than it is for men because, you know, there's this caretaking and childcare and these kinds of things. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of these other sort of side effects of COVID. Uh, but those are things that, that are pretty much driving, I think, what's going on. And so when you have a smaller labor pool and you have a smaller number of people looking for work, then, yeah, necessarily you're going to have a lower employment rate. Um, and so that's kind of what's going on. Um, we are. Would it be, would it be fair to say, Tino, that you know we're seeing continuously over the last you know maybe half year about four million people a month who are resigning their jobs and either looking for you know the next next best thing or in the case right. as you mentioned of some women you know maybe being forced to stay home and take care of their kids because the school school issues or even more importantly daycare issues. So this is something we haven't seen in, you know, in forever. No, we haven't seen it forever. And, you know, if you, if we sort of back, if we sort of were able to wind back time, you know, uh, to 1960s or 50s, obviously when labor force participation rates, excuse me, labor force participation amongst women was a lot lower. Obviously these kinds of issues wouldn't rise. And it's only been that sort of gradual, well, that pretty stark increase in, in, in women's participation rates beginning in the 1970s. Um, um, through, you know, till today. Um, that's sort of, again, as I said, compensated for some of that male, um, thing. But yeah, we, we haven't seen anything. Um, if you're under 40, you've never seen anything like this. I mean, well, we haven't seen anything like this at all since, since, uh, oof, 1919, really. Um, wow. and so things, things are a lot, things are a lot different. It's a little bit crazy. Um, and, and, and the way our system is kind of set up is, is, is kind of, I don't want to say sort of, um, set this up in a way did set it up. And I, I'll talk about that a little bit later, I think, but um, suffice to say that, yeah, we haven't seen anything like this. This is, this is extraordinary. And locally um, and locally here in Missoula, what you see, what the manifestation of it is, you see signs up $17 an hour to go work at, you right. know, Wendy's or uh, places not opening that used to be open for breakfast, uh, you know, in the, in the service jobs, not opening to lunchtime, uh, you know, yeah. some restaurants only the drive-throughs are open. You can't go in anymore. They're having. I was in. I was in uh, a, a retail establishment uh, just the other day, and um, I was waiting to do something. And they said the manager had to finish cleaning up, uh, you know, some some debris in the aisle before I could go in. You know, <laughs> never yeah. you. That, that's something I've never heard out of a clerk's mouth. He kind of was smiling when he said it. But the manager had to go do that because they're experiencing labor shortages. How much longer can, are we going to see this? Well, uh, I, who knows? I mean, obviously the pandemic is still going on. We've got the Omicron to worry about. A lot of people are not returning to labor force because they're scared of getting jobs or maybe the, the jobs that were there are, are, you know, as you, as you said, kind of like working part time because of COVID. Um, and this Omicron thing is kind of throwing another wrench in our works. And so that, you know, this is a big unknown. I think there's there's fewer unknowns than we had, say, a year ago or a year and a half ago. But there's still quite a large number of unknowns um, that are still out there. And, they're, you know, people's perceptions of, of what is uh, what they can and cannot do is, uh, has changed. I think, you know, more of us have become much more uh, open and, you know, maybe we were overly cautious, you know, a year and a half ago. And now we're maybe too, you know, not cautious enough today. And certainly there's disparities across places like Missoula where people tend to be a relatively uh, a little bit more risk averse than other, say, parts of, of Montana, which are more rural and tend to be not risk averse at all, according with respect to COVID. And so you see, you're going to see a lot of these really, these really, really big differences across across regions. And, you know, I was when you were talking about the low, low unemployment rate, I remember when I lived in Ohio and I was in graduate school in Columbus, an unemployment rate in Columbus hit something like 1.5 percent. And this was in the 19, you know, mid 1990s and, and places like, uh, you know, Safeway or Kroger or whatever, they were offering, uh, $500 signing bonuses to bag groceries back then. 
Right. Um, and that was, and that's not adjusted for inflation. So, um, you know, that might translate to about a thousand to $1,500 today. Sure. You know? So that's, that was the time where I remember, um, that things got pretty tight then, but for different reasons, that was a super, really strong, uh, demand side labor market. Right. Now what we're experiencing is kind of a, a very, very weak supply side labor market. Right. So people are, excuse me, taking themselves out of the, out of the labor force. And that's what's causing wages to be increased. You know, and I think some people, you know, anecdotally in surveys, people are just kind of fed up with, with being paid poorly um, and doing sure. not, not really nice sure. jobs, you know. It has nothing to do with, you know, uh, public assistance and public aid. I mean, there are two things that are going on on the lower level, you know, the service jobs, there's some time, there's frankly some tie into immigration. A lot of these entry level jobs, I was just reminded by seeing West Side Story. I saw the new remake of it. And here are the Puerto Ricans, you know, starting out sweeping stores and doing those jobs, even though they're right. overqualified. A lot of the service jobs were filled by, you know, migrants and immigrants. And, you know, we had a four year period before Biden of really cracking down on um, immigration. And in some places in the country, you can see the effect of that. You don't have people working in, you know, in, in the service industry. Right, but right. we're also seeing it in some of the skilled professions. I just heard somebody from the uh, Montana's Nursing Association say we're down 40, in some places, 60% vacancy rates in hospitals for healthcare workers. That's astounding to me. It is astounding. It's, it's a huge decline. And again, I, I think, you know, from that, from those perspective, from the healthcare sector, you, you know, people are just exhausted. Uh, we, you know, and there's another concern that, 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 that there's going to be another spike and that we're going to overtax our, our ICUs and our, and our hospitals again going into November. And I think just people are tired. Uh, what's kind of interesting though, as you talk about wages is that, uh, you have these sort of rent nurses. They're the traveling nurses that go around the country, right? And sort of like mercenary nurses, I guess. And, and right. you know, they're getting paid twice of what the nurses in the hospitals that are there are getting paid. I don't know what that exact number is. And, you know, you're going to start, you know, that's going to start feeding on itself, you know, and, and maybe sure. say, well, why would I work at this hospital for X amount of dollars when that person's coming in and working twice as, for twice as much, say, uh, maybe I'll do the exact same thing and go to, I don't know, to Tennessee or Kentucky, right? Kentucky just right. going to have some crises going on now. And it, it's a really interesting, you know, it's a really interesting time to be an economist. And there's not many times I, I kind of joke about this, that economists get to be really sexy, but this is one of those times. Um, people don't want to listen to us until get, things get really difficult. Sure. <laughs> but, sure. but here we are. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, it's a really well, interesting time. And you understand the layered effect of something like COVID, even if, for example, the uh, Omicron variant doesn't kill a lot of people. You know, there's some evidence that at, at least at, at this time of recording, so far, yeah, yeah. you get sick, but you're not going to die as much. And maybe it's affecting a younger group and blah, blah. But you're still going to have a lot of people sick. Oh, yeah. You know, millions of people sick. And what effect does that have on the workforce and on supply chain delivery and, you know, on on service? You know, I think about mail service and FedEx and, you know, delivery, you know, truckers across the country. You get sick. You're not going to be driving anywhere if you if you if you're, you know, have a fever and, you know, you're you're weak. Right. Exactly right. And I think what's not being discussed, I mean, that's. That's sort of like contemporaneous effects of this shock. Sure. But I think what's not also being discussed is sort of the longer term implications for the economy of a shock like this. Um, you know, uh, the recent study that came out, like some, some, like Santa Clara University or Santa Barbara University or somewhere over in the Cal system, uh, mentioned that 25% of people that got sick with COVID will have long COVID. Now, what, what are the long term impacts of 25%? Let's say 25% of the workforce now has long-term COVID. Are they going to be sporadically leaving the workforce because of this over time? You also think about training today. If people are leaving their jobs today, what's, what skills are they going to lose? Now, granted, some people are going to retool, right? Reskill and, 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 and actually accumulate skills, but there's still going to be some people that aren't. And so, you know, I don't think we're really discussing the longer term implications as much as perhaps we think. And, you know, as a macroeconomist, that's kind of how I tend to think of things in terms of longer term implications and economic growth down the road. And I think that that's another thing we have to factor in. And 
I mean, it's with the childcare, it's with the health, it's with all these things. Uh, it, it's just a big mess. Mi- yeah, it's a mess. It's going to be know, can you- I know two people who have quit. I, I know two people who have quit their jobs because right. other people have gotten sick in their company. Their workload has doubled or tripled. Oh, right. They're not getting a, pay, a significant pay increase, you know, in the short term. And they're saying, I'm not going to do this. Right. You know, this is crazy. You know, they maybe didn't love the place to begin with. And, right. you know, right. with all the, you know, with the, all the other kind of job openings, you know, and, and uh, you know, now's the time when employers want to make sure they don't lose people because they're going to be hard to replace. Very well, difficult. Are, yeah. oh, sorry, Scott. No, it's good. I was going to ask a related question, which is, are there any sectors of the economy where you're starting to see some level of, you know, pre-pandemic levels in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, vitality, if you will, and use, yeah. like, cause I, I had seen something yesterday about the dine-in, um, the dine, you know, for restaurants, we're kind of like almost close to pre-pandemic levels of people dining out, which I was surprised yeah. to see that. Is that, is there anything else like that? You know, I was, you know, what bounced back really fast too is manufacturing, um, which also bounced back pretty quickly. Um, and then you have some sectors that obviously didn't really go into any kind of, any kind of decline, you know, when we talk like about real estate, real estate or, uh, or banking or, or, you know, delivery drivers and these kinds of things. I mean, where especially delivery drivers and anybody that's in the supply chain will really have you know, probably, probably didn't lose too much unless they were sick. But, you know, in terms of like a, a great resignation kind of idea, I don't, I don't see it. And then most people are now finding that the, the great resignation is kind of limited to a small number of sectors. So, um, that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is that this is a, it's called the great resignation because usually during a course of, an, you know, over the time of a year or two or whatever, there are sectors that experience their own like great with a small g resignations. Um, but right now you're just seeing it all kind of happen at once. And so it, it just kind of, it, it, it's, it's hard to say. I, I, you know, I haven't looked at in too much depth into the sort of micro level, which sectors are doing relatively well and which are not, you know, the, some of the sectors you expect would be doing well, like health, for example, obviously has not. Uh, but a lot of that is due to the fact that the structure of our health, our health uh, sector is that a lot of uh, services provided by hospitals, what have you is voluntary surgery. And so when everybody's sick and no one can take care of somebody with their gallbladder surgery, then that, there goes that. So, um, it's you know, kind of ironic in the way things have kind of panned out. I was also going to mention, I was also going to mention about, about, about that, your, your, your friends losing their jobs. And I was listening to something today that, that about inflation and, and these kinds of things is the way the United States handles these kinds of crises is really sort of like, we go from like episode to episode. We don't have any intermediate planning going on in the meantime. And what was going on in Europe at the same time is, is people continue to get paid for a 40 hour work week, but maybe didn't work the full 40 hours. Maybe they only worked 20 hours and the governments were making up that difference, say that 20 hour difference and still paying them for 40 hours, even though they're only working 20 hours. Um, and so there weren't these huge checks that went out in the mail that would be driving some inflation. And so inflation in Europe is running about two percentage points below what it is in the United States right now. And right. I, well, for example, as, as you probably know, in France, there's yeah. a minimum set wage a month right. that every employable person gets. And that's seven, equivalent to about uh, 1700 U.S. dollars a month, which is is not horrible. Right. It's not you know, horrible. It's livable. And then you don't go through this sort of this this, this burst of spending. Um, but what I suspect is going to happen is that, that, that those, those, those COVID checks are running out. People have spent all, they've spent all they can on Amazon. There's only so much room in their house to put another stereo in. And so what are they going to start? Are they going to keep this, this, this sort of, this kind of, uh, this momentum in buying? Or is that going to slowly die out? Um, and certainly with higher inflation, you will start seeing the slowdown. And some of those demand side effects will start to slow as well. And then we also have to remember that despite the fact that this, Spending bills that are coming out of Washington are multi-trillions of dollars. It's not multi-trillions of dollars that are coming out tomorrow. It's multi-trillions of dollars that are coming out over a 10 to 20 year period. So it's not this sudden burst of money. It's a, it's a slow, kind of a slow burn. Um, and that will start, I think is, you know, and plus we don't have the workers to do some of these jobs yet anyway. Right. So, uh, and we don't, and we don't even know what bridges and roads and, and, and pipes and, and, you know, Wi-Fi we're going to fix anyway. We still, sure. We're still ways from that, so. You know, you're absolutely right about the spending issue. I popped over to 
our local Costco and I was going to buy my favorite crab legs (laughs) until I saw they were $59 a pound. You know, and I can eat a pound of crab legs, but it's not worth 60 bucks to me right now. I mean, that was literally, literally, you know, six months ago it was 22 to 25. It fluctuated in that rate. Same with, same thing with lobster tails. Right. You know, and so at the high end, you're seeing, you're seeing a spike. And even, you know, someone who's, you know, fairly, you know, well off is going to blink twice about, you know, buying four pounds of crab legs for $240. Right. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's post-tax money. Right. And, you know, and some of that's supply chain related, but some of it is just, you know, the, the, the inflationary effects of what's going on. Right. Exactly. And I think what you got to remember is that people are more sensitive to price increases there to the price decreases. And so sure. especially the things you buy on every day, right? So there's, there's kind of like this, this little inside joke that, that basically consumer confidence is tied to gas prices. So if you Absolutely. really want to understand gas, if you really want to understand consumer confidence, all you got to do is look at gas prices. Now, for the vast majority of Americans, fortunately for us, maybe in other countries, it's not quite this way, but that represents a relatively small percent of our total expenditure. Um, and so it doesn't right. eat into our, for most Americans. Now, obviously, there's some that, that it's going to have a, a, a fairly large effect, uh, obviously. And if you have to commute a long way like we do in the West, it has a much bigger effect than if we all lived in, I, I don't know, Providence, Rhode Island or something where you could walk everywhere. But well, it does have an effect on truckers, on, you know, things that have to get On trucked. transportation. Right, right, right. And so these kinds of things, but there's a lot of prices that have also fallen. Um, the biggest jump, everybody's kind of one of the, one of the components of the CPI, which is the most offsided, uh, index for inflation, um, sort of headline news, um, uh, inflation rate has been used car prices and they've risen about 40 or 60% over the past year. But I don't know about you, but I don't go buy a used car every day. And so for me, that that poor part of the CPI has zero impact on my spending. Um, right. And then you might you like your crab legs, and and but if you only buy them once a week, once a month, then that might not have such a huge impact on your overall spending. At the same time, you see other prices which are actually falling, but people are not sensitive to that. You know, I used to right. have a I used to have this argument with my uncle, and he's like, well. You know, oil prices go up, gas prices go up, and then when oil prices go down, gas prices stay up. I'm like, no, they don't. And here, I'll show you the data. You can see the data. Here's no, the they don't. And it's one for one. It's a basically, it goes up, it goes up, it goes down, it goes down. But that's that's part of people's perceptions. And so we just have to be mindful of that. I'm not saying that it's 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 great. You know, I, I, obviously inflation is not a good thing, and we certainly don't want. We're more concerned about long, persistent spikes that are unexpected spikes in inflation. But inflationary expectations are not that high right now. If you look at sort of five year out, uh, they're, they're hovering in the two and a half percent. So markets seem to think that inflation will be under control. I don't want to say, you know, we, we keep seeing the word transitory and, and the joke amongst economists is like, well, what is, how long is transitory? It's like, well, I don't know. I don't know how long it is, but it's as long as it's not permanent, you know, so that's what we, that's how we sort of think of things. But I think, you know, this time next year, I, I suspect if, if COVID goes away, this is a big if, right? There's a lot of uncertainty still out there. If we can sort of get this thing under wraps and we all have our seventh and eighth boosters, then I suspect this, this will start clearing itself out relatively soon. Um, in geologic you, time, you know, you've done a bunch of research on COVID policy. So based on everything you've seen, is there a right policy and a wrong policy? You know, when, when I look at policy, what I'm trying to understand is, 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 does that behavior that policymakers want, is that actually being followed by constituents? So if I make a policy, are my constituents actually going to conform to that policy? And what I found thus far is, um, eventually, right? <laughs> eventually that policy is, is, it's adapted by the constituents. Now I'm not saying that the policy, is actually going to help prevent COVID. That's not the point. The point is, are the policy restrictions actually implemented and and internalized by constituents? And the answer is yes, eventually, but it takes about 15 months. Now I'm looking at daily data so I can observe people's behavior and I can observe policy behavior on a daily basis. And with that, that, that level of uh, frequency of data, it's looking like 15 months. Even in a time when you think that people would like, okay, I could die from this. Obviously, there's there's a whole host of other things going on and um, outside of just the policy and people's uh, 
policy, um, but it still takes quite a while for sure. Sure. I noticed that in New York City, where the where the uh, vaccination rate is over ninety percent have been vaccinated, they've had a string now of days where there's been no COVID deaths. Right. You know, eight million people. Montana has a million people, and we're still seeing COVID deaths every day. Yep. So does that is that to you a validation of one policy versus another? Um, here's the deal. So what I've also been looking at is, is this is kind of something that um, I just started recently is, is trying to understand how policymakers view the health of the economy versus the health of their constituents. And right. Basically trying to estimate what the differences are across states, uh, you know, and you might suspect, and you're right, according to my, my research, that that in fact, yes, the New York, quote unquote, is more interested in preserving people's health than preserving the health of the economy. Um, and, and that's not surprising, probably. I mean, anything, you know, uh, one of the states that I looked at is Florida. And, you know, DeSantis has been sort of railing about we got to open the economy. We got to open the economy. We got to keep opening it. Um, everything else is, is, is not important to us. Uh, and that's fine, right? But you might have these other repercussions. So part of the research is finding that, yes, there are differences across states. Some states are, are, are more concerned about health than other states. Um, and again, when we go back to that long-term thing, what's going to happen over time? Um, are, is a state that's relatively open today going to be slower growth in 10 years because of the, the longer-term effects of COVID on the population? Uh, that's, that's an empirical question that we won't be able to answer for 10 years, but at least that's something that we want to start thinking about, I think, as we move forward, is what are these sort of longer-term implications Um Will that really slow education systems down eventually? Will they have to keep closing the schools down? This is something that we'll, we, we, we don't know. Um, but it's something that, that I think should be discussed a little bit, at least, is, is, is as I said, this longer-term implications. Well, it seems to me that, you know, from a global perspective, I mean, you can cut this pie a million different ways, you know, right, Tino? But it seems to me that the U.S. is willing to accept a higher casualty rate from this in order in balance in order to keep the economy churning than most of the other countries in the world. We have one of the highest, I think we have the third highest COVID death rate, you know, only India, Brazil. And I, I think uh, maybe one other, maybe we're third. Or oh, Russia, Russia is not Russia. I'm saying we're up, we're up among you know the, the highest. And uh, for some reason, it seems that we're willing to have a muddled policy that allows that to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how that all plays itself out over time. Well, I think it, a, a couple of things I'd like to say first is, as I, you know, I spent a lot of time in Croatia. And if you look at Croatia's response initially, Croatia's response was, we are shutting everything down. I mean, they went, um, they went like all in with, with shutdowns and all this kind of, but what does that do? What longer term impact does it have? You know, when, when they start loosening restrictions, what do you start doing? Well, people go berserk. So, <laughs> right. So people are yeah. going out. And so if you sort of fast forward from, I don't know, say March of last year to say September of this year, people are, 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 are going nuts because maybe that shutdown was so extreme that people just needed to release. Um, so that's, that's one of the things you, you don't want to, so part of what you have to kind of think about is, do you really want to overcook it in a sense? Because you might actually end up right. causing bigger problems down the road. And now Croatia's case loads and, and death rates are rising fairly quickly. Um, another thing you have to think about is it's hard. Okay. So we'll start with the United States. The United States is 50 different countries. We got 50 different governors, 50 different and plus our, our territory. So you've got 50 different policies in place. And in some policies, as I mentioned earlier, uh, take Florida, for example. I mean, they were much more lenient with respect to restrictions compared to, say, New York. And so you're going to see different death rates, different caseloads, et cetera, et cetera, in places like New York than you are in, say, Florida. You also got to think about um, are the deaths a function of the policy or the deaths a function of the underlying healthcare system? And if I think about a place like, which also experienced relatively high deaths, something like South Dakota, for example, I mean, it's a very rural area. You don't have a lot of sophisticated medical uh, apparatus around. And so it's relatively difficult to take care of people who are really sick. Fortunately, um, for all of us, we've gotten better at dealing with this. We've got additional drugs that we can use. we got this new drug that could be coming out um, made uh, to general public any time now 
um, which actually helps once you have it, if you get it within a certain time frame. Um, and so we do have some, some additional, uh, what we know is, a, we know a lot more than we did. We have much more tools at our, at our, at our disposal now. And you got to remember too, that just because, you know, we, you know, in the United States, we see people that are anti-vaxxers and we see people that are not, but there's, there's a lot of other countries that have the exact same issues, right? So sure. like Australia just, you know, you had massive protests about unvaccinated people can't go out and go to restaurants now, only vaccinated people can. Then they shut the entire economy down. Same thing's happening in the Netherlands, same thing's happening in Germany. And so all over the country, you're, you are getting this kickback, which is why, you know, you almost don't want to overcook that policy too high. Sure. And, and that's, that's a risk you take. I mean, are we being overly cautious when cases are rising and are we taking on too much risk that is, are we overly, you know, uncautious? I can't think of the opposite of cautious right now uncautious when cases are falling and maybe we got to figure out a better balance. And that's another sort of line of research I'm working on is how do these policy changes impact whether cases are rising or falling, if that's your indication of risk. It seems to me, if you just put aside the politics of it all, if we just said everybody needs to get vaccinated and everybody needs to wear a mask in public for a period of time, that probably would have put us in a much better place than we are now. If, I think if you, you know, you don't ask me about, obviously ask an epidemiologist about this kind of thing. Right. But if, if, I don't know, 70% of the population wore a mask in the first three months, we'd probably be out of this by now, right? I, or whatever the time frame is. I'm just kind of right. making it up. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not, I don't think it's rocket science. It's just, but that goes back to the other thing. If, if people aren't necessarily going to listen to what you're saying for whatever reason, I'm not right. politics or your own cultural experience or, or your religious preferences or whatever. Uh, if you have that disconnect between what policymakers want and what people are actually willing to follow, then you're also going to have these crises, and that's what this research is kind of showing. Sure, that sure. Over the I mean, short, during you know when you know when they had when they had tuberculosis as a you know a, a serious issue and polio, there were people who didn't want to get the shots. Right. You know, I mean, there was some of that same kind of reaction to you know any kind of mass edict. You know, right. just just a, a bristling and a, I'm not going to get it. I don't right. I don't want to get it. But, you know, the government in those cases persevered and, you know, you know, and they they put a smart strategy in place, which is you get inoculated in public school or else you don't go to public school. Right. You know, so they were able to accomplish it, you know, by those means. Well, and if you go back to the Spanish flu, I mean, I, memory serves, I can't remember exactly what you say, but I, I, th- I, I want to say Portland, Oregon, basically shut down for seven weeks. And uh, Boston did not. And Boston had a much longer exposure, much more deaths associated with, and again, I'm not sure I'm getting those states right, uh, uh, deaths associated with, with the Spanish flu uh, than Portland did. Yeah. And Portland basically got themselves up and running again relatively quickly. So let's, let's uh, back away for a minute and take a more um, global, you know, 20,000 foot view of things. The U.S. economy's GDP in the last, uh, for 2021 looks like it's going to have grown by 5.6%, which is pretty healthy. It's better than we would have thought of at the beginning of the year, given all of this. And it seems like the projections for the coming year for uh, for GDP, gross domestic product, is about 3.8%. I'm not the economist, but those are the numbers I've seen thrown right. around. Right. To, the, to our listeners, what does that mean? How does that, you know, affect the, the typical, you know, person living here in Montana? Well, I mean... Part of it is obviously jobs. Um, hopefully you get some wage growth that goes in with that. Um, hopefully more leisure. I think, well, I think one of the things that people are getting out of this great resignation is that they want more leisure time. Um, but that's generally the thing. So, you know, we look at GDP uh, as economists as kind of a measure for the overall, shall we say, abilities of people to enjoy life, right? It, it's sort of an indicator of welfare. And so countries with a higher GDP, and especially per capita, rather than overall levels of GDP, uh, you know, that per capita GDP just gets you a higher quality of life. I think that, you know, if we have, if we, you know, we're not back to trend, we're probably five, five or 6% below where we would be had the COVID not happened. Um and so, you know, that's, that's a fairly substantial, in the United States economy, that's, that's a, that's a huge chunk. I mean, 5% of 20 trillion is a lot of trillions. It's still right. quite a bit of trillions. And so, you know, that's jobs that are lost. That's income that is lost. Uh, that is savings that is lost. It's going to impact us again down the road. It's, 
it's people, you know, having to work longer than maybe they would have otherwise chosen to do because their savings is down or, or, or we're obviously, well, hopefully lives will start returning to normal and we can actually go out and do stuff. And I think economies, which we rely far more on like a tourism type of economy, like a, like Montana does, you know, are, are, are set to be, are, are going to benefit relatively more compared to other places which don't rely on so much just that travel just bringing those dollars in has 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 an effect on everybody's livelihood and just and then you you know know, there's all these ancillary things that are sort of associated with higher growth you get you know lower uh lower levels of depression fewer suicides uh fewer less alcoholism and drug abuse etc etc and so those are other benefits that happen as a result of, of growth just a lot less stress um so that's that's basically what I think we, we can look forward to. You know, this is going to be, I think this is going to be a hangover for a while. You know, I, you, you're probably the same as me. Uh, my grandparents used to, you know, we always used to hoard food because they lived through the Great Depression. And I think there's there's some switch that probably turned for us during this period. We don't know what it's going to be yet, um, but some switch definitely switched on and off. And we'll see how that affects our behavior going down the road. Sure. Um, Sure. So my, my other hope is that, 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 you know, maybe we'll, we'll actually kind of really think about, I mean, my hope is that we'll really rethink our whole social safety net, the way things work. Uh, we, we, we go too much from crisis to crisis. We don't have that planning period in between these crises. And so we have to basically start from scratch and we have these kind of fits and starts policy that kind of bursts and then it gets taken away and then it bursts again, as you mentioned earlier, when a, we had the unemployment insurance and then people were worried that when the unemployment insurance was taken away, that, that people were not working because unemployment insurance was too high. So they took it away and roughly 25 states took it away earlier than, than was planned. And it had, it didn't have the impacts that they thought. I think in Montana actually, you know, compared to what, what would have been, had we, had we not taken away, we actually ended up in a lower situation than a worse off situation than, than had we kept it. Um, and that was, that includes labor, employment, all these kinds. Right, because most of these decisions to pull or not to pull are political ones. They're not, they're not thought through correct, in terms correct. of what the impacts are going to be. They're just a knee jerk, you know, reaction to what's going on. Exactly yeah. right. And I mean, you know, this is what economists refer to as the law of unintended consequences. Right. You impose a policy and you think it's going to, you think it's a brilliant idea and, and it just, you know, you squeeze the balloon and the balloon's going to pop out somewhere. Right. You just don't know exactly where it's going to be. Sure. And, you know, well, I, I think we have is- funny, you have funny consequences when you have average working people angry because we're going to tax billionaires and people in the top 1%, which most of them are never going to become and neither are their kids, you know, and therefore they're opposing the very thing that could help them and their families out and to, you know, and to sort of modulate this, this uh, peaking and, and valley period of what happens when crises occur. It's, it's really, I understand it from a visceral perspective, but it, it's just, it's like putting your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time as a, as a society. You just don't get anywhere. No. And it, 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 it's, it's one of those things that's mystified me for, for decades. So I, I don't have an answer for, for that. Uh, uh, but it, suffice to say, you know, some it's 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 a very difficult period, and you know, there's always somebody wants somebody else to blame, and it's it, that, yeah. That. But it's ironic well, when you see the richest man in the world, like Elon Musk, screaming and yelling about right. we can't spend money on this stuff right. when he doesn't pay taxes, and he's you know he's worth more than half the country probably combined, right. <laughs> and and he's probably also benefiting from some tax breaks and subsidies to transportation sure. and 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 what well, have Tesla you. Tesla got a big tax break, tax subsidy when they were having trouble. I mean, right? They, and you know, but this is the same thing that happened with oil companies when oil companies got huge subsidies when the price of oil was going up. I mean, these subsidies were put in place to protect our energy infrastructure uh, when 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 oil prices were 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 below you know the cost of producing the oil. Uh, in the cheapest place to produce oil. And then when, when prices started to go to 70, 80, 90, $100 a barrel, suddenly profit margins are rising. We kept those subsidies in place. And so it, it, it's kind of, you know, I, there's a, there is an element of corporate socialism in this country and, um, or any country really for that matter, I should say. So that's, or, or some people call it corporate Keynesianism. Right. Um, but that, that, that's true, you know, and I, and there's, there's, something to be said for having making sure that the businesses are there and i agree uh but don't you know 
Um, well, well, these terms that you just put out, terms socialism, capitalism, get thrown around by a lot of people that really right. don't understand what they mean. No. Right. And that's and I, that's why I kind of prefer corporate Keynesianism, although that's probably people, even fewer people understand that. So, <laughs> right. Uh, right. But, you know, that's so what was actually trying is, is I'm going to throw another another word out at you, which is called uh, supply side Keynesianism. Now, usually Keynesianism is associated with the demand side. That is trying to put people's income in people's pockets, either by giving them direct money or by reducing their taxes. And then they go out and spend it. And you can do that in a couple of different ways, right? You have monetary policy. You can lower the interest rates, which the Fed has done to try and ensure that people spend more. Um, or you can give them a job, which is sort of the fiscal side of things and, 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 you know, or reduce their taxes. But what, you know, uh, but what, what, what supply side Keynesianism is, is, um, is actually trying to actually help producers reduce their costs. And so that will increase, it will have the same effect. As long as you're moving that GDP to the right and up, then that's what you're looking for, whether it be on the supply side or the, or, or the demand side. And, and what um, this is referred to also is called fiscal devaluation. Um, and what this means is, is primarily in a country like in, in the Eurozone, for example, uh, part of the reason the prices of Germany, why Germany is so competitive in the European market is that their prices, their overall price level is relatively low to other countries. And right. part of that is because their businesses are being subsidized, which reduces their overall costs of production, which enables them to have lower prices to sell on international markets. And so it's a similar kind of idea uh, for the United States is having this this fiscal or the supply side Keynesianism or fiscal devaluation, we're actually trying to help keep prices relatively low. Well, it's interesting, as you point out, you know, Keynesianism, you know, Keynesian theory, which is, you know, obviously it, it simplified into, you know, uh, more government services, uh, lower taxes, you know, on the on the supply side, and therefore a lot of people consider it, you know, uh, on the demand side. Uh, excuse me, on the demand side, and then you consider it sort of a you know, more centralized, you know, the growing, the centralized control of the economy. But I just noticed, uh, you know, we're recording, uh, recording this, uh, you know, before it airs, but we had these devastating tornadoes, you know, that, you know, just plummet, you just, you know, killed hundreds of people. And the very congressman who voted against government aid for Sandy Hook and these other places, when it happened in their backyard, are now demanding federal assistance for their community which is just another c- continuous example that I don't want anybody else to have this, but when I need it, I want it. Right. And we just had that. We, you know, there's that several, that, that other guy, the guy from Wisconsin, what's his name? Um, who also was yeah voting against the infrastructure bill and then tweeted how, how proud he was that they passed right. the infrastructure bill. So you get, you get these, you know, I mean, obviously calling a, a, a politician of either stripe a, a hypocrite and a, and a charlatan <laughs> is not, yeah. not, not terribly controversial, but, but it, it's the brazenness. And, 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 and what I, you know, people rely, I think the, uh, what's become increasingly, uh, evident to me is that increasingly they're relying on people's short memory uh, and people just will forget. Uh, you know, the or, other or thing sing, that or single issue, you know, or a single issue. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, as the what's the what's the say, phrase, you know, a lie travels around the world 100 times before the truth gets around once. Right. Um, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff's going on. And I, you know, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there's some backroom dealings going on. And like the guy says, look, I got to say this to my constituents, but, I, you know, I'm. I would like to think that that's going on, that obviously there's some, some grandstanding going on with some of these guys. Right. And you'd like to think that some people have the the greater good in mind other than just, you know, their own political ambition. But, you know, lately it just seems from both extremes. Right. You have you have a lot of, uh, you know, yelling and screaming, you know, like like Shakespeare said, a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. <laughs> All bark and no bite. <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. I was just yeah. looking at when we first spoke with you, Tina, it was back in August of 2020. And I'm just curious, in the last, let's say, 15 months since we last spoke to you, are there any elements or things that have happened that have surprised you um, from from the econ- in an economic sense or a uh, 
uh, you know, something on the macro level that you're like, I didn't, we didn't see that coming or was everything fairly predictive? Like you kind of, you set the core, you saw it and then, you know, you're seeing it come to fruition. I, you know, I don't think anybody saw it, you know, obviously no one saw it with a, you know, 2020. Uh, that's without a doubt. I, I think, uh, I mean, I remember telling my wife when, when this thing started happening, I said, look, this is going to be bad for 12 to 18 months. This, this, this is going to not be good. And so plan for 12 to 18 months. And that was based on previous pandemics. And, and then you think about the speed. I don't think, you know, I, I, I guess, um, <laughs> What surprised me is I've, I've lost some of my optimism. Let's put it that way. That's what's been my surprise. I think I also am surprised. I will say this. No, I am surprised how quickly um, GDP grew, bounced back. Um, I'm, I am surprised by that. I am surprised that the supply side inflation. I mean, if you asked me the question four months ago, how long would this inflationary episode last? I, I, I would have said uh, not very long. And I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Uh, so I think that kind of caught a lot of economists off guard was just how non-transitory this transitory supply side effect will be. Uh, I guess in, in retrospect, it's, it seems not that counterintuitive, but I am a little surprised. Um, I was, I was surprised that, uh, you know, there, there has been a relatively low amount of, of concentration put on really fixing our, our child and healthcare systems and the fight that's had to go into that. Um, I had hoped that this, there had been a big enough spotlight on these holes and these issues, uh, which are preventing people from working, um, preventing people uh, from getting access to good healthcare. I, I thought, you know, maybe this would be enough of a light that people would sort of wake up and go, okay, we really do need to, to work on this. Uh, we was, it surpri- was, it, was it surprising to you that a place like Bozeman, Montana, now 15 months from then, has a median home price of seven hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. That's a, yeah, of course that's surprising. I mean, uh, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised how much migration went in. Uh, it remains to be seen how long that lasts. You know, are, is it going to be like Lake Tahoe where there's a fire and then everybody leaves? You know, and then and who knows what's going to happen? It is surprising. I, I think it's all. I think. I mean, I mean, even Missoula. I think even Missoula's up to five sixty or five seventy or five eighty. Oh, it's, it's crazy. No, I think everything about this is surprising, and everything that has happened is surprising. Everything that has not happened is also surprising, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of things we just don't know. Um, I am also surprised, I, I guess, how 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 much uh, stock markets have bounced back. I, I I I'm floored by that. You know, this is uh, yeah. Well, I don't know right. I, I, we I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks to end the year, but the uh, you know, the Dow's up, I think, 17% for the year, and NASDAQ's up 20% for the year. That's yeah. a good return any, at any time in, in history. It's a great return. And it, what it, what it, what it, you know, what, but on the other hand, you know, because, you know, economists on the one hand, but on the other hand, <laughs> right. hand, if you own, if you're in the stock market, it's great. Right. If you're not, it's not so great. And right. it's just going to increase some of these wealth inequalities. I think we're seeing inequalities growing in, in, in wealth. Uh, there are going to be some income inequalities growing. There's there's health inequalities are growing. Education inequalities are starting to grow. And again, going back to that long term thing, which I keep kind of harping on, that's going to have these longer term implications uh, you know, and create two Americas. I think it's a, it's a, stat- it's a good place for us to it's a good place for us to take a break. Our guest is Tina Sonora, director of research, healthcare research with the University of Montana. Back after this. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Tino Sonora. So, Tino, if we're looking at 2022 as an economist, what's your headlines that you would share with our listeners? What should they pay attention to or what should they expect? Um, I, I, I look forward to uh, inflation actually relaxing. Um, I, I look forward to... 
a clearer definition of which sectors of the economy are recovering and which and what and moreover which sectors of the economy will continue to be part of the economy and which will kind of die off with any type of large uh crisis of this type we see we see a lot of changes uh, churns in the economy and you know for example you talk about going to the you know to the restaurant, there's a lot more robots, if you will, that are taking orders and people just bring your food, even at a sit down type of restaurant. So there's all these technological changes that are happening. Um, so I kind of look forward to having a better, a, a, a more well-defined idea of what the structure of our economy looks like going forward after this. There were some structural changes that happened during the, the financial crisis. I think this is going to have a similar type of impact. Um, and so that's what I think I, I look for. And, and any kinds of changes that might happen happen in our, in our sort of health net, you know, health care, child care uh, uh, policies. That's a great place to stop. Tina, we always, we appreciate you coming on. You're a great guest. <laughs> you always have insightful things to share with us. I really appreciate Tina. Thank you guys. It's always fun to talk to you guys and good to see you after so long. Have a great holiday too, Tina. You as well. Happy holidays. See you next week, Arnie. See you next week, Scott. Take care. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done